Philippians chapter 1, we'll be starting in verse 12. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that we would have the, the same the same spirit and conviction and, and love for the gospel that, that Paul That through all that he has gone through, through all the suffering, afflictions, trials, Lord, through, through people uh, dragging his name through the mud, Lord, he, he can say, with joy, I rejoice, because Christ is proclaimed. God, I pray that we would have that same conviction, that same desire, that same passion, Lord, trusting you every step of the way, that you are sovereign, good, wise, that we would go to our co-workers, our friends, our family, the people on the street, waitresses, whoever it is, Lord, and, and boldly proclaim the good news, Lord, of your son, knowing that it's through the gospel, Lord, it is the power of salvation. God, we pray that in your son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today we're uh, moving along in the, the book of Philippians, the letter to, to this church. We're moving past Paul's greeting. We had and saw the formal greeting that Paul gave and then a personal greeting and prayer that Paul writes out for this church. And, and really today we're going to start to get into the heart of this letter, the body of this letter. A letter that Paul wrote to a church that we have learned he loved so much. A church that he loved and uh, a church that was dear to his heart, and of course, a church that loved Paul so much. In this next portion of Philippians, this letter, and Paul starts, again, this is the body, he starts by encouraging this church that he loved. And I hope as we walk through uh, this passage in the next couple weeks, we are encouraged to, starting with today's sermon, and to really understand this next portion of this letter, which is Philippians 1, 12 through 26, you, you have to understand one verse and the context behind it and the context that inspired Paul to write this one verse, and that's verse 12. So if you would, look at Philippians 1, verse 12. It says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In verse 12, Paul is assuring and encouraging this church, the, 
church at Philippi by letting them know that what has happened to him, what has happened to him, has served to advance the gospel. Now, as I'm studying through uh, the scriptures throughout the week, um, really the first thing I do is just ask a bunch of questions. And one of the first things I asked as I got to this portion of scripture and I got to the verse 12 was, was this question, what has happened? What does Paul mean when he says, uh, what has happened to me? Because Paul doesn't necessarily tell us or say what he's referring to. He, he's really just uh, assuming that the, the recipients, this church, when they get the letter, they would know exactly what he's talking about. There's some context here that's important. Now, obviously, he's talking about his present situation being under house arrest in Rome. But it's been over four years since Paul has seen this church, and a lot has happened during that time. I'm guessing that the church got bits and pieces of, of the news about Paul during these four years. And, and therefore, because of this, because of their concern for Paul, Paul sends this church a letter. And one of the main purposes, as we've talked about, uh, of this epistle, this letter to the church at Philippi, was to inform the church that, that despite his circumstances, Paul was joy-filled because, verse 12, what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Paul was experiencing the sovereignty and, and providence of God firsthand. He was living what he wrote years earlier to the Romans, Romans 8, 28, which says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, if we were left only with our human logic, finite reasoning with our with our own thinking without the the revelation of god influencing that thinking one would have to conclude that the events surrounding paul's life would have been a hindrance to the gospel but paul is letting the church know that the exact opposite is true that the events have rather served to advance the gospel let me show you what he means and why he says this. If you would, turn to Acts 6. We're going to go back and kind of follow Paul, his story. And we're going to go way back. This is before Paul was saved. This is before the church at Philippi was even planted. Turn to Acts 6. We'll start in verse 7. Acts 6, verse 7 is a, a verse I've quoted a number of times. It's really a glorious verse that says this, and the, and the word of the Lord continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. At this point in Acts, the gospel is spreading like wildfire. After Peter's sermon in Acts 2, there was 3,000 converts like that. We get to Acts 4, and the church has grown to 5,000 and now we're in Acts 6, verse 7, and, and the word of, of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. You, you can't even count the disciples at this point. They just multiplied greatly. The church is growing, and it's a beautiful church. We've talked about this a number of times. Acts 2, 42 tells us uh, that the church was devoted to Scripture, to, to fellowship, to prayer. 
They all, the church, all witnessed signs and wonders done by the apostles. They even, they even sold all their stuff at one point to give to the needy. It was just a, a beautiful time. God was moving, the church was growing, and, and even a great number of priests, Jewish priests, became obedient to the faith. Acts 6, verse 7. But then we get to the passage right after verse 7. There's a group of Jews who sees a man named Stephen. Stephen was one of the leaders of the church at this time, one of the seven, a, a godly man. In fact, verse 8 says he was full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 15 says he had a face like an angel. By the end of chapter 7, Stephen is stoned to death, martyred in a horrific way. In chapter 8, a great persecution of the church is started. In fact, turn to chapter 8, verse 1. Verse 1 says this, and, and Saul approved of his, this is Stephen's, of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, I come back to this verse a lot, just in my personal life, but, but if you've sat under my, my preaching these last five years, even in my preaching, I come back to this, this verse a lot. Because I, I often just wonder what it would be like to be there. What emotions? What, what, what were they thinking? I mean, just try to imagine, put yourself there. This great outreach of the gospel. Thousands and thousands of people being saved. The, the number is growing and growing. The joy, the awe, the, the wonder, the excitement, the worship of God during this time. It was an exciting, joy-filled time to be a Christian. And Stephen gets murdered in a, in a horrific way. Stoned to death beloved leader of the church and this starts a, a chain reaction the church is, is is getting persecuted people are getting dragged into prison and i, and I want to be clear this isn't fiction this is a story but it's a real story that happened this is real lives real pain sorrow and suffering i mean just think of stephen's family the sorrow and pain. Think of all the, the mothers and fathers that are getting dragged into prison. I mean, this had to be a confusing time. I'm guessing the church was asking questions like, well, why would God allow this to happen? I know he could stop it. He's all-powerful. He's, he's sovereign. He, he, he's, he's done signs and wonders in front of us. How does this bring him glory? How does Romans 8.28 apply to this situation? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. How, how could good come out of this evil? I'm sure the church in Jerusalem asked these questions. Well, let me show you something. If you would turn back to Acts 7 verse 58. Acts 7 verse 58 says, then, then they cast him, this is Stephen, 
They cast him out of the city and, and stoned him. Horrific way of killing someone. Throwing stones at them until they, they are piled up over him and they die. Now listen to this. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Or as we know him, Paul. This is Paul. Paul is a young man before salvation, holding the garments of those who were stoning Stephen, a participant of this stoning. And look at what happens, verse 59. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Who's that sound like? Jesus. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. But I want you to hear Stephen's prayer. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Guess how God answers Stephen's prayer? Paul. God answers Stephen's prayer in Paul's life. He didn't hold that sin against Paul. Instead, in Acts 9, Paul is saved and, and all of his sins are forgiven, even the stoning. And listen, Paul became a force to be reckoned with. When it came to defending, spreading, and sharing the gospel to the nations. Paul was God's chosen instrument, and God used Stephen's prayer to bring it about. In fact, the persecution that happened in Acts 7 and 8 spread the church throughout the Gentile nations. At that point, right, the, the church was growing, but only in Jerusalem. But the persecution in Jerusalem just spread them throughout the nations. And it, and it positioned Paul, after his salvation, to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem to the nations, to the Gentiles. Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles. And through it all, God was glorified. The gospel continued to advance, and once again, Romans 8, 28 proved to be true. And we, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Acts 11, we are told that because of the persecution that rose over Stephen, the church was scattered as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. In Acts 12, verse 24, it says that the word of God increased and multiplied. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are, are commissioned, and Paul starts his first missionary journey out of Antioch. And churches are planted throughout Asia Minor. In Acts 15, Paul starts his second missionary journey. He picks up Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and, and God sends them all to Europe. We know this story. We just went over it. Modern-day Greece, and, and as we have learned, the first church that was planted in Europe was the church at Philippi. And again, this all happened because of the persecution that happened in Acts 8. Because of the persecution, the church spread, the church grew. And it continued to spread in cities like Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. Therefore, just like in Jerusalem, early on in, in the book of Acts, God was once again moving in a way that, that the apostles couldn't have ever imagined. The growth in Jerusalem was one thing, 120 disciples. 
waiting for the Spirit, then Acts 2 growing into to a massive number that was uncountable. But now there are thousands and thousands and thousands of converts all over the Roman Empire. And not just Jews, but pagan Gentiles being saved. And I am guessing that, that even though there was hard times, for sure, martyrs and, and persecutions, Christians that were placed into jail, I am guessing there was also joy and excitement. Watching the gospel spread, watching, watching God change people's hearts and lives. Again, it's just another amazing time to be a Christian. And Paul is taking the gospel to the nations. But then we get to Paul's third missionary journey. In Acts 18, Paul once again sets sail on a third journey to strengthen the Gentile churches and to share the gospel, hopefully plant more churches. But this missionary journey was different. Persecution was getting so bad back in Jerusalem that Paul felt the need to collect a donation, which is a beautiful thing because he's going around to these Gentile churches asking for money to, to bring back to the, the church in Jerusalem, which was mostly Jewish Christians. And Paul was determined, determined to get to the church and, and deliver it personally to the church in Jerusalem. I'm guessing for the unity of the church at large. Turn to Acts 20, verse 17. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now, now Paul's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's so determined to get to Jerusalem that he doesn't take a detour to go to Ephesus. Instead, on his way at a city that is on his way, he asks the, the elders to come and meet him because he's heading to Jerusalem. He wants to meet with these, these elders from, from the church at Ephesus. And, and really, this is a beautiful passage. I would encourage you when you go home to read Acts 20, 17 and on, because Paul has, has some amazing words to, to tell the elders of this church. But look at what, he, what happens. Verse 18, it says, and, they, uh, and when they, the elders, came to him, which is Paul, he, he said to them, this is Paul's words, you yourselves know I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and, and with tears and with trials that, that happened to me through the plot of the Jews, how I, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was, that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jew and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. I mean, can you imagine having that calling? Hey, Paul, Paul, Go to Jerusalem. By the way, afflictions and imprisonment await me. It's one thing to live life and trials to come. It's another thing for God to, to tell you what trials about to come. 
And that was Paul's calling. But listen to Paul's heart. You want to talk about a man. Here's a man with conviction. Verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that, that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's a man with conviction. That's Paul's heart. That's Paul's passion. He, he had a passion to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wanted to, to share the gospel, to, to proclaim and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, and now behold, I know that none of you among whom I am gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. He's assuming because of this, this revelation, this imprisonment and affliction, that, that he'll never see this church again, never see the elders again because of either imprisonment or death that await him in Jerusalem. And I'm guessing, and this is just a guess, but, but I think this is a fair guess. I'm guessing the news of this got back to the church at Philippi. I mean, they didn't have Twitter or email or phone calls like we have, so it didn't get to them very quickly, and it wasn't every single word that Paul said probably. But bits and pieces of this got back to the church at Philippi. Skip down to, to verse 36. Verse 36 says this, when, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. church that absolutely loved Paul and was sorrow and grief knowing that Paul was going to be in prison or even killed and they would never see him again. Turn now to Acts 21 verse 8. Acts 21 verse 8 says this on the the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. This is a prophecy from the Holy Spirit from God, revelation from God. And it just confirms what Paul already knew, that afflictions and imprisonment await him in Jerusalem. And in Paul's mind, probably death, as he's getting handed over to the Gentiles. What do the Gentiles do? What do the Romans do? What do they do to Jesus? Look at verse 12. When we heard this, now, let me point out the word we. It's one of the we statements in, in Acts, meaning Luke was a part of this. Luke 
one of Paul's closest friends, and maybe Paul's closest friend, was a part of this. Again, when we heard this, we and the people there urged, and the Greek word's probably stronger than that, begged or pleaded, maybe a better translation. Uh, we, we heard this, we, we and the people there begged him not to go up to Jerusalem. They begged Paul not to go. Because when they got this revelation from the Holy Spirit that Paul was going to be arrested, their, their first thought was, well, this must mean he shouldn't go. The Spirit must be warning him not to go. That was their thought. I mean, that, that seemed to make logical sense, right? How, how is Paul, the, the greatest missionary ever, period, how, how is Paul, how is it beneficial for him, how is it beneficial for the gospel for him to, to get beat and arrested and, and maybe even killed in Jerusalem? How is it going to further the kingdom? How is it going to spread the good news of Jesus? How is it going to, to glorify God? And, and, and since they didn't have an answer to that, they begged him not to go. But listen to Paul's response, verse 13. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying, I don't know how this is going to work out for good. But if I'm called to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, and, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. I mean, that's courage. This is really a heartbreaking portion of Acts through the book of Acts. And I've, I've taught through it and read through it so many times. And, and, and this is just a, a heartbreaking portion of Acts. If, if you're reading this for the first time and you didn't know what happened to Paul, uh, uh, not knowing what would happen in Jerusalem, uh, you would be on the edge of your seats wondering what God was going to do. He was going to get arrested, we know that, but what, what, about, what about after that? What, what's going to happen? How is God going to be glorified through this? So no surprise when Paul reaches Jerusalem, he's arrested, right? In fact, from Acts 21 on to the end of the book of Acts, Paul is completely at the will of his captors. Under arrest, he's no longer a free man. He's no longer able to move from town to town to share the gospel. When Paul made it to Jerusalem, he was falsely accused by his own Jewish people. He was nearly lynched to death by an angry mob. He, he ended up in a Roman prison, only escaping by, by pleading his Roman citizenship. He was made the subject of unjust and unproven insult and shame. He was mistreated. He was misrepresented. There was even a plot on his life at one point that he narrowly escaped. He was unjustly kept in prison for a long period of time till finally there was a new Roman governor who decided to ship him to Rome. 
And even after all this, even after he, he left the, the region of Jerusalem, he was on a ship full of prisoners that, that shipwrecked. He was even bitten by a poisonous snake. And when he got to Rome, he was chained to a Roman guard without any privacy at any moment for two years, awaiting word from a pagan emperor whether he would live or die. And listen, it was all of this that Paul was referring to when he wrote the Philippian church. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Listen, Paul interpreted everything, everything through the lens of God's sovereignty. He trusted that for, for those who loved God, all things would work together for good. Therefore, therefore, he reassured the church that he loved so much in this letter, encouraging them that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. You know, I've been reading a number of commentaries, and as you study a a book, you start to kind of fall in love with certain commentaries. There's just one in particular, an author, a theologian, who's actually an Old Testament expert, but he's written a, a, a commentary on Philippians. His name's J.A. Mortier. I used him a lot in, in Exodus, and he just has a way of, of writing. Let me just read a portion of what he writes about this, this one verse. Notice the word really. It shows in which direction in which direction Paul's memory is leading him. There would be no need to say that a list of encouraging and helpful things had, had tended really to promote the gospel. He stresses, therefore, the masses of dark threads that the recent years have woven into a pattern of his life. The bodily pains, the lies, the misrepresentations and deceitfulness, the miscarriage of justice, the chains which forcibly kept him from traveling for the gospel, the, the mental turmoil of appealing to Caesar against his own people, the nearness of death and the diminishment of hope, the, the triumph of wickedness and the continual suppression of the truth. He invites us to take these things and look them in the face. For it is these these which have resulted contrary to what their surface appearance may might suggest it is these that have resulted in the progress of the gospel when you think about it it's pretty amazing that paul could look back at all these evils and with joy say that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let me just show you one thing that I think is remarkable. Turn to Acts 24, verse 26. This is somewhere in the middle of that whole story. This is before Paul is shipped to Rome. It's actually in the front end of the story. Before he's shipped to Rome. Uh, I don't know how many of you realize this, but, but, but he was in prison uh, during this time before Rome in Caesarea. Look what it says in verse 26. It said, at, at the same time he, this is the governor Felix, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. He was hoping for a bribe from Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. Look at, listen to verse 27. 
when two years had elapsed. That, that's less than a half a verse, yet it's two years of Paul's life. And this is before he even made it to Rome, where he'll spend two years under house arrest. In Caesarea, Paul spent two years in a Roman prison. And I wonder what he was thinking during those two years. I wonder what the church was thinking during those two years while, while he was in prison. God, what's going on? Why are you doing this? How are you going to work this out? How is this going to be used for the advancement of the gospel for your glory? Two years in jail, and just it really blows me away because for us it's half a verse. We kind of skim over when we're reading through the book of Acts. Yet it's two years. This was a dark season in Paul's life. This was a, a dark season in, in the life of the church. And, and once again, the church had to be questioning why. Just like they did at the stoning of Stephen in Acts 7, just like they did in the, in the persecution of the church in Acts 8. Why, why would God allow this? He's sovereign. He's all-powerful. Just think about this for a second. It wouldn't, have had, it wouldn't have been the first time that God broke one of his apostles out of jail. Peter just walked out of jail at one point. One time in prison, the chains just fell off of Paul and the doors opened. I wonder if Paul was just waiting for something like that to happen. But it didn't. Two years in prison waiting. And I'm sure the church at Philippi heard about this. I'm sure for two years they were praying for Paul diligently, this man that they loved. Wondering if, if they would ever see him again. Wondering if they would ever hear from him again. Two whole years. And that's just one aspect of the suffering Paul went through on his journey to Rome. It's amazing. Well, as I said earlier, Paul does make it to Rome after two years in prison in Caesarea. He was shipped to Rome. So let's look at the end of the story. Turn to Acts 28, verse 16. this in verse 16 and, and when we came into rome paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him and we've learned that the soldier was actually chained to paul he was chained to paul all the time it's probably multiple soldiers and from my studying it seems like they may have been like six hour shifts so maybe three or four soldiers that would come back chained to paul but there's no privacy you think about that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, absolutely no privacy for Paul, arrested under house arrest, chained to a, a soldier. Verse 17, it says this, After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they gathered, had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had Examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. Paul's talking to Jews. These aren't Christians. These are Jews that live in the city of Rome. 
But because the Jews obligated that I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letter from Judea about you and none of your brothers or none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in, a, in greater numbers. There's a bunch of Jews that come to listen to Paul. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have, has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And with their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and would, I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And here's how the book of Acts ends. Verse 30, he lived there, that's Rome, Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who, who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without timidity. Paul would spend two more years under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard, but this time he was allowed to write, he was allowed to meet with people, he was allowed to preach the gospel with all boldness and without hindrance. Now turn back to Philippians 1, verse 12. During this time being under house arrest in Rome, he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, this epistle, and in this letter he says this, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. In other words, Paul's arrest has served to advance the gospel. How? Well, look at verse 13. So that it, the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Well, what's the, the imperial guard? These were an elite group of Roman soldiers. The best of the best. 9,000 hand-picked soldiers who were honored with double pay, a good pension, special duties. They were highly respected in the Roman culture, these soldiers. Their main duty was to keep peace in Rome, 
So they were stationed in Rome, and, and to protect the emperor himself, they were the most trusted and most elite soldiers in, in the entire Roman army. And they also happened to be the ones chained to Paul 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, can you imagine what Paul was doing during that time? Sharing the gospel with them over and over and over and over again. So much so that, that the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. That, that means all 9,000 of them all knew the gospel. And, and many of them must have believed because how, how would they all know the gospel unless a few of them took it out to the rest? Not, not all 9,000 were, were chained to Paul. In other words, they became evangelists themselves to the other 9,000. In fact, listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4.22. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. This means the gospel message went, went all the way to Caesar's household. Obviously, I'm guessing, through these soldiers who were trusted by the household of Caesar. And if that wasn't amazing enough, look at the end of verse 13. It says this, so, so that it, the gospel, has become known throughout the, the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Now, who, who's the, the all the rest? I, I just think everyone. <laughs> everyone, the, the whole city. The news about Paul's Paul's imprisonment and, and, and this man in, in, in house arrest just spread throughout the whole city of Rome. I mean, it's just amazing. I'm sure as these men that were these soldiers that were so respected in the Roman culture went around evangelizing themselves in the city, it, it stirred up a, a buzz of this, this man named Paul let me just read the end of Acts, or Acts, uh, the book of Acts again. Acts 28, verse 30. It says this, He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. It's just my guess, but I think it was a lot of people that came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Listen, throughout Paul's life, there was a lot of ups and downs. And I don't know if Paul ever doubted God. I mean, he's human. I'm, I'm sure there was points, but, but maybe not. I mean, it doesn't seem like as you read the story of Paul or read his letters. He was just so faithful. But even in his faith, he had to be amazed in what God had done. From being a persecutor of the church holding the garments of those who stoned Stephen to being the one who takes the gospel to the nations. From being arrested in Jerusalem, not knowing his fate, if he would live or die, to influencing the entire city of Rome. Needless to say, the most important city in the Roman Empire. Paul is just a living example of the truth found in Romans 8.28. 
And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Therefore, Paul wanted to encourage the church. I don't know, but, but I can just picture Paul excited, joy-filled when he wrote Philippians 1.12, saying, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to the advance of the gospel. So amazing. Let me end the sermon by, by saying this. Persecution has never hindered the advancement of the gospel. Persecution has never stopped God's purposes. In fact, the exact opposite is true throughout church history. The more the world has persecuted the church, the, the more the church is purified, the more the church is, is potent, powerful, and the more it seems like the gospel just spreads. Now, I don't want persecution to come. I pray that it doesn't. But if it does come, we need to be encouraged by Paul's story. Because for all that Paul went through in his life, all, all the persecution, all the, the beatings, all, all the imprisonments, all the trials... He can write with joy, with amazement that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. Let's pray. Father, Lord, God, we, we come humbly, Lord. I look at Paul's life, and, and I'm amazed, Lord. I'm amazed at the conviction, Lord, that you placed within that man. The love, Lord, of you and the gospel and his people, and the joy and desire and passion to, to take the gospel out to those who don't know you. God, I'm amazed by it, Lord, but I pray that we would have that same spirit within us, Lord. That same passion and conviction and joy that would be so bold with the gospel, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, for revival in our country and in our culture, Lord, that we would turn from our evil ways as a, as a culture, Lord, and, and turn to you and, and, and repent, Lord, and, and, and praise and worship you, Lord, but I also see, Lord, where we're heading. Lord, and if persecution does come to the church, Lord, I pray through it you are glorified. I pray that we would be bold with the gospel no matter what the cost and I pray through it that it would spread, Lord. A, a pure gospel would spread 
and people would be saved. We pray this in your son's name.